0: Before we get to my amazing interview with Emanuela Grace, I just want to share a quick story with you because in story, there are lessons. Let's go back to, I'm not going to even tell you the year, but it was my senior year at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute where I was giving my final presentation in my biomedical engineering design lab. And I stood up and I knew the information, but I was already having senioritis. I had a job, and I had not adequately prepared, and I remember standing up, and I started to sweat, and as I was speaking, my voice got hoarse. I froze. <laughs> it was terrifying, and I will tell you, I made it through. By the good graces of the professor, they passed me in the course. But the lesson from this was I never wanted to be caught off guard, not being prepared, not being able to speak and message and connect with others. Now, going to our conversation with Emanuela Grace, she talks about individuals having the ability, the fortitude, the space to be able to message and communicate with others because so often we are caught up in the activity, the moment, even our high performers, they just go, go, go. And we never stop to collect our thoughts and understand why we are here and what is the purpose of the information or message that we're presenting and the ultimate outcome that we want to achieve by connecting and influencing others in this conversation. We are reminded that we are humans trying to connect with humans and we must give ourselves grace and the time to pause and reflect and understand how do we show up? How do we best communicate? connect with people. So let's listen to this amazing conversation.
1: I think that we live often, especially in a corporate environment, in a very reactive space. And what that does is rob us of the mindfulness or thoughtfulness or poise or distance or whatever word you want to use that enables us to actually function at our best, to actually deliver our best. So very often we will look back on a situation and think, oh, i would just taken a moment to think, or I could have said this, or I wish I'd said that, or I missed an opportunity there. And if we're not giving ourselves the space to just breathe, we're not also giving our brain the resources it needs to function optimally. I often explain to my clients, you know, you talk about, and this happens a lot to people in the context of performance anxiety, that you get that mental blank, or you forget what you're going to say, or one of my C-suite clients describes it like falling into a white hole, like she's in the room, but it's, she can't like, ooh, you know. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO
0: Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello. And as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of the Drop-In CEO brand, and I am grateful you have joined us on another episode of the Drop-In CEO podcast. It is my honor to interview amazing leaders week after week and bring their insights and inspiration to you to help you get control of your career, get promoted, or help you with your business. And it is my honor to share the mic with this amazing guest, Emanuela Grace She is a coach, speaker, and facilitator in the skills to communicate with confidence and poise. And with decades of worldwide performance and coaching experience, Emanuela has helped thousands of people to find their voice. And as a professional singer, she has performed on some of the world's largest stages from Royal Albert Hall and the Barbican in London to Sydney Opera House and Hammer Hall in Australia. And her resume goes on and on, but I am grateful to welcome her onto the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, Deb.
0: I'm excited. So we have been chit-chatting a whole bunch before we actually hit the record button. A little bit for my listeners, I am grateful for the network. Ben Baker had interviewed Emanuela and said she was an amazing guest, so I have the honor of getting to learn more about her work. But what I find so interesting about her work, and you know me, I talk about leadership, personal development skills, all those things that you need to get you or your organization back on track. But the greatest tool you have is your voice and how you use that voice can make all the difference on top of the other skills. So with that, I am so looking forward to this interview. But Emmanuel, can you please share a bit more about your amazing journey and the work that you're doing now?
1: Hi, Deb. Thank you. So, Going right back to high school, I always wanted to be a singer or I thought that that's what I wanted to be. And I had a teacher that was very critical of my voice and used to tell me, you know, you can't sing. And years later, I have an understanding that what she was saying was my aesthetic bias and your aesthetic doesn't align. So what I think sounds good and what you think sounds good isn't the same. But, you know, from the perspective of a young teenager, who's quite vulnerable and was at boarding school. So I was away from my family. That kind of feedback was actually quite traumatizing. And I inevitably was picked up by some other singing teachers and music teachers in the school that fostered, I guess you could call my talent or my skills. I believe more in skills than in talent, which means that then anyone can learn to train their voice. And ended up in this elite group of singers and went on to have a career for the last 20 years that has been quite good to me. But through my whole journey, what I realized was that a voice like any other instrument can be trained. And that really started to create the underpinning of what I do now, because we live in a culture where voice training or singing specifically is something that generally we think of as belonging to really talented people and people that are either born with it or you're not, which I don't think is true at all, because You'd never say that to a guitarist or a drummer or a basketball player. There might be some genetic things that give you an advantage, like being tall for basketball, let's say, or having long fingers for a pianist, but not having those things doesn't mean that you can't do it. It doesn't mean that you can't learn those skills. And so I kind of went on a journey to find people that could teach me how to understand the body and the instrument that I was playing from the perspective of anatomy. And ultimately, once I became quite competent, it's obviously enough to make a career out of it and buy my first house, second house, third, I think I've just bought my fifth one this week. And so do well out of it. You can make a career out of something. But I think in some ways, that diligence and that determination to learn a skill set me up better than people who just were told early on that they're talented. Because what it does is it teaches you a work ethic, it teaches you curiosity, it teaches you persistence. And I started to observe that I was developing a real sense of purpose around the voice and then around the fact that I was learning to do something I was told I couldn't do. And at around, I think I must've been getting close to 30, I was sitting in the at Albert Hall and just thinking, I think this is as close as you can get to saying you've made it. As a performer, like this is one of the biggest venues on the planet and this isn't turning me on. What's actually turning me on is what I'm doing behind the scenes, which is teaching other people to use their voice. That's really exciting me. So I think that's what I'm going to do now. So I packed up and enrolled in a master's degree at Melbourne Uni here in Australia. I was in London at the time and came over here and studied a master's in performance teaching, how to teach people to perform. And at the same time I was developing my company, Find Your Voice, it was a team of vocal coaches that had a similar mindset to me that we would teach anyone. We wouldn't turn anyone away. If you wanted to learn to use your voice, we would teach you and that's quite controversial in the voice training world. So what then developed was this understanding that it didn't matter how well I trained some voices if under pressure, the person wasn't performing. I noticed that there were some people that really thrived with this kind of teaching that we gave them, which was very similar to the training I'd had growing up, but there were some people where there was this kind of really difficult dynamic developing where they'd do really well in the room with me. And then- on the stage, whether that was their boardroom or a stakeholder meeting or an auction, their voice would fail them. And that was quite traumatic because they knew they could do it. And so it would create this psychological bind for them that they felt like they were failing and they felt even more hopeless than if you know, they'd never learned that they could do it to begin with. So I wanted to go back and study psychology and understand, okay, perhaps it is that the voice is the end product it's the last kind of expression of who we are, but it's the last stage in a process that happens that starts in our mind. And I was growing progressively more concerned as I was being booked for more and more corporate work, that there's a lot of people out there that do great work for a particular demographic. You know, you mentioned earlier when we were chatting about being misdiagnosed as an introvert. Well, <laughs> I am an introvert. <laughs> I'm not shy, but I am quite introverted. And There's a lot of people like me out there that their introspection and their deep thought is what's made them good at their job as they've climbed the ladder. And then they get to the C-suite and suddenly they're having to face stakeholders or face the public, face the media, face the boardroom in a way that they've never had to before. And it's undermining their gravitas because they don't have the poise that internally they know that they have because they know they're experts in their field. But when it's kind of getting to that end point of communicating and creating a connection with the people in the room, they're falling over. And so I became very curious about dissecting and unpacking how that happens and creating ways that we could address that.
0: This is so, so, so interesting. I think you and I have gone on parallel paths of discovery, honing our craft in what we do, and then getting to a place of I'm not loving this anymore. I'm good at it. (laughs) But now how can I serve and elevate others so they don't have to struggle as much? And you and I have come to a similar conclusion in the area of confidence or as you say, poise. And I want to go there a little bit more in that I see so many successful people and then something changes. They move into a higher role. The environment changes, new company, whatever it might be, they lose their confidence and they no longer can perform and be their best. So I love the work that you do, but I do want to touch a little bit on this. You talk about, this is on your website, you talk about communication with clarity, confidence, and poise. And I just wanted to check the definition of poise, composed and self-assured. I've never heard anybody use poise before. I use the word confident, but what is the difference? What is that missing piece or that additional element that somebody needs in addition to clarity and confidence, you add poise.
1: Well, poise is actually a word that's quite commonly used for people that have trained in Alexander Technique. Okay. So have you come across Alexander Technique before? I have not. It's, you know, in a similar school of training around anatomy as something like, say, Feldenkrais, where we look at how the way that you use your body affects your overall function. So if you can learn to let go of extraneous tension you know, we need a certain amount of tension in our body. Otherwise we're a puddle of human being on the floor, (laughs) but we need some tension in our body to maintain our uprightness, but too much can become harmful to our function. Yes. And so if we can learn to let go of extraneous tension, your body moves in a way that's free and it affects everything from your breathing through to how your head is working. So, Poise is an Alexander technique word, but I also really like it because if you're, you know, going back to talking about the training that is quite common in corporate environments, appealing predominantly to extroverts, a lot of this training happens quickly. It happens in a short space of time. It's big feelings. It's riled up. It's bombarding you with information. And that works really well for extroverts and for some omniverts. But for people that are introverted, that's really fatiguing. And. Actually can really send them the other way that they feel overwhelmed. They feel like they didn't take enough in. They feel like what's wrong with me? Because everyone thinks this trainer is fantastic and I'm just, I'm exhausted. I need a nap. I'm not taking this in. I'm failing, (laughs) you know, and so poise is a word that I think has a lot more grace in it than confidence. It's a lot more calm manifestation of having influence and it's a lot more grounded. I think so. Confidence can be very loud and it can be very engaging and dynamic. But poise, I think, leans more towards the idea of gravitas, which as a leader is something that I think we often want to foster, where they talk about in leadership being on the balcony and on the dance floor. Have you heard that analogy before, that good leaders can be both on the balcony and the dance floor? I've
0: not, but this is leading into a story I want to share where this resonates. Keep going.
1: Right. Well, you know, being on the dance floor is really fun and it's really good if you're confident, but also you need to be able to stand Away from the people you're leading as well and be able to see like that bird's eye view or that overview in a way that's informed that perhaps the people on the dance floor don't have the headspace or the facility to see.
0: What I really love about your approach is because I have interviewed a number of people in the area of speaking and how to be more respected, get your message across. What I love about your work is that you've tied in a lot of the psychology and the physiology and understanding that not everybody learns in the same way. You need to customize it based on where they're at. A quick story, you know, I love speaking, as you can tell I'm on a podcast. I did a couple of speaking events in 2021. I had my PowerPoint, I had my note cards and I delivered the information, but I didn't feel like I had poise. I didn't feel like I had control of my body and moving around. And then I had an opportunity recently where I took away the note cards, took away the PowerPoint. I only had visuals in my head of the little stories I was going to tell, and I was able to look at the people and watch their body language as I delivered pieces of information. As soon as they were leaning into me, I felt like I was in flow. I was dancing, and the next thing I know, 12, 15 minutes passed, I came out, and it was a home run, and I felt like there was so much human connection. It was like a dance. So I love your perspective.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And flow, Sek Mihai's work on flow is really important. That's another thing that kind of is a cornerstone of the work that I do. Obviously, as a professional performer, that is something that's very important in informing how I was as a professional singer. You know, your relationship with your audience is dynamic. You have to be seeing them and no professional singer would get up with notes or with a PowerPoint, you know. How on earth do you embrace people with your voice and embrace people with your energy and bring them in to a journey that helps them escape their day-to-day and take them somewhere else and elevate them when you're holding notes between you and them?
0: I know. And I've learned my lesson and I've grown since then.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, but you know, this is the thing with flow. It impedes your facility to be participating in that dynamic exchange that happens between you and the audience, right? Because you're not out there on your own. A great performance happens when people connect. And if that connection doesn't happen, then it's missing that joie de vivre. It's missing that dynamic excitement that comes with flow and that comes with pulling people up into flow with you.
0: I have a question for you because you said something at the very beginning of your story where somebody said, you can't be a promising singer. And then you found somebody that realized your gifts and wanted to work with you. I'm just wondering when you happen upon somebody that calls upon your services, they've adopted or owned the narrative of they can't do something because of something that happened in the past. How do you break them of that? Because I, in leadership, find so many people that they say, well, I'm not this, I'm not that, and I have to break them of all those N apostrophe T's and those N's so they can say, no, that thing that isn't relative anymore You know who you are. You know where you want to go. You just need to find the right people. How have you helped people move through the I can't or the narrative?
1: So in Alexander Technique, but also in positive psychology, one of the underpinning concepts is we don't focus on the problem. We focus on the solution. So I don't ever want to hear about what you can't do. That's not what we're working on here. (laughs) Let's look at what you can do and build on that. And then the other things will take care of themselves. So our first session always will start with, let's find out what your core values are, what matters to you, what informs how you communicate. You know, we can't fight every battle. And if you're worried about not speaking up in a boardroom, what are the things that are not negotiables that you know that you will speak up for so that you will save your energy for that? You will save your headspace for that and let everything else go. So choose your highway, choose your lane or learn what's One of the things I say to my clients is that's not my circus and it's not my monkeys. Just pay attention to what is yours. Focus on what you can do and don't worry about the other stuff.
0: You know, it's a waste of your energy. It is. And it is hard because I have been called to the mat for speaking up. Maybe my choice of words were not appropriate at that moment. I didn't know. And then I have people that are highly talented that I coach and they speak up. They say what's on their mind. They're called to the mat and they're not given any feedback. It is so, so hard to get rid of those negative feelings of past experience and being able to move forward. Of course. So I would love to have you paint a picture of somebody or an organization that really, really wanted to develop their skills in the area of speaking. What was it like when you first happened upon them? And what was the transformation you were able to help them through?
1: Well, I work predominantly with individuals. As I mentioned, I'm quite introverted myself. (laughs) So... (laughs) I know that where I coach best is Mm one-to-one. And so if I do do group training, it is limited to one hour and never more than eight to 10 people in a group. And so what I get organizations to do is if they want to hire me to train teams, I get them to divide it into groups of eight to 10 people and do the same session over and over and over again. (laughs) And that enables every person in that session to get something meaningful out of it rather than just being bombarded with, Content and maybe not meaningfully engaging with it, but also, like I mentioned before, often in these big group settings the extroverts will really come out and they'll get a lot of quality and then the introverts will come back. So if you're in a smaller group, it enables me to really focus on individuals. There is a program that I've been working on for the last few years with PWC. I think you have Price in the states as well, one of their leadership programs where they have done that similar model where they've divided groups up into, I think, a maximum of 10, but it's also across the different levels within the organization. So within a group, you have the most senior executives with, you know, the middle tier executives. And so I'm predominantly offering one-to-one coaching in that program, but then also they take similar content and they do group sessions, and then they have the breakout where I provide coaching with the individuals. And that's my happy place to work. It's where I can see the best kind of transformation and it aligns with my values and my sense of purpose. And I know that you talk often about purpose, values and elevating people. And that really resonated for me because I think we have the same (laughs) drivers in terms of our values.
0: It so does. I mean, I just got done finishing mentoring a woman through my professional organization. And after one year, it really was all about confidence and what she could control. And just to see her, I wish we had done a videotape of where she was, highly technical, but you could see her energy was very closed, her body was very closed. And now it's like she is just snappy and I'm going to do this and I know where I stand and I'm going in this direction. And it is just such rewarding work when I've been given the opportunity to coach others. But I want to ask a little bit more about you personally. You are highly talented. I love what you do. You've had a wildly successful career. But you shared with me earlier that you said, you know what, I want to be a little bit simpler in my life. And I'm curious about that important choice that you have made for yourself to have a great career, but then adjust it, slow down and smell the roses. I think there's an important lesson in there.
1: (laughs) Well, gardening is very important. I'm very excited because this week I finally bought my dream house with a very, very big garden that's going to be a lot of work to get where I want it to be. But I'm excited. I love growing things. I love watching things grow. And my three year old daughter is remarkable in her capacity to recognize different flora and fauna. It's actually mind blowing. So I'm very excited to have that and foster that. But it also gives back, you know, having the space to reboot. I think that we live often, especially in a corporate environment, in a very reactive space. And what that does is rob us. Of the mindfulness or thoughtfulness or poise or distance or whatever word you want to use that enables us to actually function at our best, to actually deliver our best. So, very often we will look back on a situation and think, oh, if I've just taken a moment to think, or I could have said this, or, you know, I wish I'd said that, or I missed an opportunity there. And if we're not giving ourselves the space to just breathe, We're not also giving our brain the resources it needs to function optimally. I often explain to my clients, you know, you talk about, and this happens a lot to people in the context of performance anxiety, that you get that mental blank or you forget what you're going to say. Or one of my C-suite clients describes it like falling into a white hole, like she's in the room, but it's, she can't like, you know. So from a neuropsychological perspective, if you want, allow me just to be a dork for a minute here. If you can imagine that everything that's happening in our minds is an interaction between long and short-term memory. So we have the things that we know that we know, right? The things that we're expert at. Then we have the things that are happening, you know, within about 30 seconds of now. So trying to think of what we're going to say. So imagine that you have a paddock and that's your long-term memory. If you can just draw a picture in your mind with me, a paddock or a field. I don't know if it's the same word for you in the States. Field, yes. And that field is is your long-term memory. It holds everything. Now, around that is a fence with a gate in it. That fence and that gate is your short-term memory. And so we need data or information to flow in and out of that gateway, in and out of that paddock and let the information come in and out. Now, if we feel under pressure or we get distracted, something gets stuck in the gateway. Oh, God, they're going to judge me. I can't remember what I said. I can't remember what that statistic was. Oh, I think I'm losing them. Did I leave the stove on? What are we having for dinner? Oh God, I think they're going to judge me. Okay, so something is stuck in the gateway. And so then you can't access that information that's so vital to having an informed conversation or having conveying your expertness in that moment because you can't access it because something's stuck in that short-term memory gateway. And so the best way I'll teach you how I teach my clients, the first kind of pit stop for that is an exercise that we call the three second pause. So what we do is we breathe in through our nose and as we do it, we count to three. So breathe nice and low, count to three and then speak. And people will just think you're thinking and that's okay, but it works on a number of levels because from a psychological perspective, it clears that gateway because we're thinking about something other than whatever we were thinking about was blocking the gate. We all know how to count to three. It's one of the first things that we can consciously do when we start interacting with literacy and numeracy. So counting to three is the most basic thing you can do, and it distracts your mind long enough to free it up again. Also, from a physiological perspective, it works because breathing in through the nose in a way that's deep and mindful tells the vagus nerve, which is the the rest and digest nerve, okay, you're on. (laughs) Tell the body that you're safe. Tell the body that you've arrived, that it's all right to just pause right now. So the body settles. And so you're more in your body. So the third way that it actually is really helpful is from a vocal perspective. When you breathe in through your nose, you're drawing the air in through your sinuses and it spins it through the turbinates, which makes the air warm and moist and makes the vocal folds vibrate in a way that's better and makes a more resonant sound. Whereas if you do a short, sharp intake of breath, which often think about when you're put on the spot, you do that short, sharp intake of breath before you speak that tightens up the throat and it makes the vocal folds dry, you're more likely to have your voice crackly or get a sore throat. Whereas if you take that slow, deep breath in through the nose, the body is calm, the mind is clear, the vocal folds are going to resonate, and then you're hearing a voice that sounds resonant, that sounds beautiful, you're going to feel better about yourself.
0: So many actionable tips in that. Usually at the end of an interview, I say, can you share with us actionable so important. I just want to acknowledge one thing you said. If nothing else, it's validating. We talk about the pause. Again, my mentee just said, Deb, you taught me about the power of the pause. We need to respond versus react. We have to listen, pause, collect our thoughts so that that little gate remains open and short and long-term memory. Dance together so that you have a moment to select the right words. Now, for me, I am from the East Coast of the United States who typically will talk fast and I will flub and make mistakes with my words. But I find in a space like this where I want to make sure that I get my points, your points across, I take it down a notch, I listen and then slow down. It's so important. And I also love the thing about standing and breathing. Because I now, right now, I'm standing during this interview because I want to have the maximum amount of energy. And I do feel like I've got better energy, better emotion, versus when I'm sitting down, I'm crouched over and my energy doesn't project as much. That is so important. Very easy tips for somebody to use right now if they want to be able to have a voice with more confidence. Amazing insight. (laughs) You and I are cut very much from the same cloth, having found. Our purpose and in different ways, helping people maximize their abilities. But if we were to bring this to a close, are there any last thoughts that you wanted to share with our audience or additional tips that they could take away right now?
1: Probably just the idea that I think with a lot of communication training, people are focusing so much on conveying what their message is and they're so focused on themselves and how they're performing. But if we think about what communication really is about, this quote, that people will forget what you said, they'll forget what you did, but then never forget how you made them feel. If we can focus on creating space for others and communicating in a way that's mindful and meaningful, that's actually a far more powerful connection that if people walk away feeling heard and feeling seen, that's a more profound way of communicating. And you will get your message across because they will come to you and ask you to tell them rather than you having to try and power your way into their space, which I think is traditionally how communication is being taught.
0: Being power in, pushing versus being pulled in. There is a distinct difference. I'd rather be pulled in for my thoughts and my comments because how it resonates versus pushing my way in and being the loud one. Much better. Oh my. And I know you are so busy. You have a lot of clients, but I know people will want to check out your work. They wanted to learn more about your work, Emanuela, how best could they find out about it?
1: Visit me at findyourvoiceAustralia.com. I work with a limited number of executives throughout the week that I'll meet in person, but I fill in the gaps that I do have with five online session packages that people can see me online. And that's an option for people, especially that aren't quite at the C-suite level, that want to perhaps they have some professional development funding from their organization. I work with a lot of, for example, tech and finance companies that have teams where over the course of a year, each of them will get those five sessions rather than doing the whole team at once. I also do obviously small team work, but look me up, check my availability. You know, The year has started with a big bang and I'm pretty booked up, but I connect with everyone before I sign them up. And just to check if we're a good connection, because I want this to be a good experience for the person I work with. It's about them, not me. And so touch base with me and I'm more than happy to do whatever I can, even if it's just to recommend some resources to put you on the right path, I will answer everyone eventually. (laughs) So feel free to reach out.
0: Yeah, this has been for me really an amazing interview because I've, again, spoken with a lot of professional speakers and they've shared a lot of the mechanics and you have as well but tying in the emotional and the physiology along with it and truly meeting the person where they're at and where they are in their journey is the work we need to do. And I so appreciate you giving me a little bit of time to get to know you better and bring your voice to my listeners. I do wish you continued success and thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Deb. I appreciate it. It's lovely to connect with you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, the CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership